welcome those of you who are joining us right now from an off-site campus or on the internet. We're glad that you guys are here. Some other part of the building here at Long Point. Glad you guys are here too. Some of you are looking like, what are you dressed like that for? A little old school, little suspenders, trying to bring up the, you know, little throwback every once in a while. Hey, before I get into what I want to talk about today, um, most of you who are a part of this church know that one of our core values is planting churches. We, we believe that every community in the world, on the planet, needs a life-giving church. How many of you would agree with that? And uh, so last week, uh, we planted five life-giving churches in major cities around America. This week, we're planting four. I just want to show you where they are. Uh, if we can put them up on the screen. Uh, we've got, we're planting a church in Spokane, Washington, in Las Vegas, Nevada, in Pflugerville, Texas, and in Valrico, wherever Valrico, Florida is. And uh, I think that's kind of a cool deal. And so let's, yeah, yeah. And so know that when you give here, a portion of what you give goes to plant life-giving churches. And so that's, I think that's number 469 on our way to 2,000. And so you guys are, and if you know people in those cities, you may want to kind of make note on it. If you didn't get it fast enough, you can go on our website, arcchurches.com. <clears throat> How many of you either wear contacts or glasses? Would you raise your hand? Contacts or glasses. Wow. Lots of you. Um, how many of you remember when you first felt the need that you were going to have to wear glasses? I mean, some of you were like two years old. Doesn't count. But when you were an adult and you put it off, I, I remember when I first got my glasses, I was 39 years old, okay? 39 years old, and life was becoming fuzzy. Anybody relate to that? You know, I'd try to read, and I'd get a headache, you know, and just frustrating, 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 especially um, dimly lit restaurants. Oh, my goodness. How do you read a menu, you know? And so you started to put it out further and further and further. Pretty soon you didn't have enough arm, you know, in order to see. Well, I've got some friends. Debbie and I have some friends we'll eat with now, and they're in total denial on this deal, you know. And uh, so Debbie and I will have to hold the, the menus across the table so that they can kind of say that might be a little exaggeration, but it's kind of like that, you know. And uh, just can be frustrating uh, as fr frustrating as I'll get out. And then um, Christmas Eve of that year, uh, is, is when it just kind of broke for me because I knew Christmas Eve was coming and I knew that we, you know, light the auditorium dimly with candles and all this. And so I came over here and I said, light it like you normally would. And I got up here and I couldn't read my notes. And so I went to an optometrist and I said, I've got to take the plunge. I, I need some, you know, I need some, some, some glasses. And I found a tool that solved the problem right here. Here they are. I can now see. It's an amazing Amazing thing. Now, I tried, or it took some getting used to, I tried contacts. Uh, anybody try contacts and it didn't work? I, here's what I did. I went and they said, okay, we're going to put something in your eye. And I said, you don't put anything in my eye. And so, but two or three nurses w were like holding like pliers, you know, actually not pliers, but they were holding my eyes apart. felt like that. And they put something in there. And I went home. They said, okay, now take this out before you go to bed. I went home. I tried to take it out. It didn't come. It was not coming out. Debbie helped me. We we're both in there digging around and, you know, folding stuff up. And I didn't sleep that night. I came in the next morning, first thing in the morning, 
to the doctor's office, and I'm, my eyes are puffy and red. And they said, oh, boy, you had a problem. I said, did I ever? I said, I made a commitment to God sometime during the night last night that if he would help me get these out, I would never, ever put anything on my eyes again. And so I got, and so I got glasses. Now there were a little, there were, there were some challenges at first because my glasses are like, um, you know, they're not just bifocals. They're like tri or quad or something. I got all kind of problems. And so going downstairs... At first, and I fell downstairs a few times, at first it was a little bit of a, of a challenge, but it changed my life. It changed my life. In fact, that day I was thinking, what would it be like for me? Because part of what I do in order to do what I do is I read a lot. And what would it be like for me to be in a society where there were no such thing as glasses? What would my life, I really did, I thought about that. What would my life be like, you know? And so, and so it was a major transformational thing. And then I thought, why did I wait so long? Well, the Bible says that you and I have a spiritual eye condition. And here are the symptoms. Blurry vision, headaches, and circumstantial frustration. And the solution is a vision tool, or it's a, it, it's a, it's a vision tool, kind of like this, called faith. It's called faith. It gives you the ability to see things that you couldn't see before. Blurry things become clearer, and the level of frustration decreases overall in your life. And when you put your faith glasses on, you'll wonder how you got along without them and why it took you so long to find them. The Apostle Paul talks specifically about our need to see a spiritual optometrist in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In this chapter, he talks about how frustrating life can be without faith. Have you ever been frustrated at yourself? Any, any, you, know, you just get frustrated at your ability to do something, fall through, whatever, and he talks about that, about the frustration we have with ourselves and the frustration we have with others and the frustration we have with circumstances and even by the natural aging process, and he concludes that it's an eye problem. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 18, he says this. Get your uh, outline sheets out. If you have them here, and they'll be on the screen, uh, in the campuses, on the Internet, unless you're in a library or something. Let's read out loud together because such an important verse. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 18. Look what he says. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. When he says so, that means we're going to fix this problem. We're going to fix the frustration with ourself and circumstances and aging and whatever it happens to be. We're going to fix it by focusing on something different. We're going to focus on what is unseen rather than what is seen because what is unseen is eternal and what is seen is temporal. In other words, you can see this plexiglass stand that I have right here. You can see that, right? Uh, this is real, but it's temporal. It's not going to last. In fact, we got two or three that are broken behind the stage. You know, somebody too much emphasis, you know, whatever. We didn't invite them back to speak, okay, because <laughs> these things aren't cheap. And uh, these will be recycled, okay? They won't exist at some point, but that's what we say is real. 
And Paul is saying there's something that is more real, it's eternal, and you need to learn to focus on what is unseen rather than what is seen, and, 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 and you need something to help you focus, and it's called faith. And so in first, or 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 7, he says, for we live by faith and not by sight. Now, we're in a series right now that I'm really excited about. I love this. My favorite series of the year. It's the first one of the year. And we're calling it, I Have Decided. And we build it as four decisions that can change the course of your life. They really can. And the, uh, the first one was a couple of weeks ago. We talked about, I have decided to follow Jesus. And what, what is cool is that just hundreds, thousands of us did that. Some of us, for the first time, we decided, I'm going to follow Jesus. Others of us, who we've been walking with Jesus for a long time, we've been Christians, we said, you know what, this year, I'm really going to focus on being a Christ follower and follow him, and it's, it's, it's been an exciting thing. I challenged you guys uh, to take the gospel challenge, and just thousands of you did, okay, which just simply means we're going to read the gospel, the gospels, there's four of them, um, all the way through in 30 days. And I don't know about you. I mean, I've been a Christian for a long time and reading the Bible, but Jesus is coming alive. It's like what we said was, you can't follow Jesus if you don't really know who he is or what his kind of, you know, um, uh, his tendencies are. And so you're reading along and you go, wow, that's really cool. I know Jesus in a way that I didn't know him before. Anybody else experienced that? And so, and so I have decided to follow Jesus. Then last week, Joshua did a great job, I, I felt like, in talking to us about, I have decided to become a great friend. And it was emotional for him. Uh, we've, we had two memorial services this week of friends, and, and um, it was just emotional time. But he talked to us about how if we can mark other people's lives this year, what an incredible thing it would be. And then this week, I want to talk to you about um, the, the third decision, I have decided to walk by faith and not by sight. What does that look like? How do I do it? And so what I want to do is we're going to start off getting a picture of kind of what a faith journey looks like. And then just for three or four minutes, really, literally, at the end, I'm going to give you five or six, I think there's six on your outline sheet, six practices that will help you to walk by faith and not by sight. So what I want to do is, um, so I'm reading the Gospels, and this week I saw a Gospel story, but I said, this, this is it. This one kind of encapsulates what a faith journey looks like. It's found uh, in Matthew uh, chapter 15, and uh, verses 21 through 28, and it's the story of a Canaanite woman who is an unlikely recipient of God's grace because of her faith. And so I want to study it for a few minutes, and Go figure, I found three principles. You know, it's just amazing. There were three there. And uh, three principles on how you walk by faith. And let's take a look at them, and then we'll kind of flesh it out in our own life. What does a faith journey look like? Number one, a faith journey sometimes begins with a difficult challenge. In fact, most times, to be honest with you, a faith journey doesn't begin, you know, well, I just think I'll just, you know, go ahead and launch out on a faith journey, usually it's a difficult challenge that launches it. Um, look, at, look, at, um, look at her situation, and we'll kind of put it in context. It says, leaving that place, Jesus, now 
let me break down this first verse a little bit so we can have context of what's going on. What place? What place? Jesus is leaving Jerusalem. And his situation is, I remember the first time I went to Israel, I was amazed to know and see that as much as 80 or 90% of Jesus' ministry was in about a three-mile area, three little cities, three to five miles, three little cities where he did most of his, his ministry at. It's, it's on the Sea of Galilee, the northern end. Sea of Galilee's a lake, basically. And uh, it's, he does most of his ministry there. He kind of grew up in Nazareth, not very far away. And as he's doing ministry, he's healing people. He's saying profound things. He's raising people from the dead. And thousands, thousands of people are following him. Thousands, tens of thousands are following. When they talk about feeding 4,000 or feeding 5,000, they're only counting men, and there's women and children there too. So it's, it's you know, 10, 15,000 people at a time are following him. It's just huge. And then he goes to Jerusalem, and every time he goes, it's like a riot down there because these people follow him down there, and he says something and upsets the status quo. And so he's just come from Jerusalem, and it says that he is going to uh, Tyre and Sidon, um, and I don't know if I pronounce that right, doesn't, doesn't really matter, but those are two cities that existed then, don't so much exist now. They're on the shoreline, not the Sea of Galilee, but the, the major uh, uh, ocean there. They're on the shoreline, and they're up, one of them is up where Haifa, if you know where Haifa, Israel is, it'd be about there, but it wasn't an Israeli city at that point, and the other one is up in Lebanon, and so they are... Um, they are Syrophoenician uh, Canaanite people. In other words, they're not Jewish. Jesus is going, why, why is he going there? I mean, he's got these massive crowds. Everywhere he goes, he's recognized, he needs some time to get away. Uh, I, you know, I, uh, when I go to in the Starbucks right next door here at Seacoast, there's always people in there. You know, y'all are in there and y'all come up and say hi. Don't ever stop doing that. Don't ever go, you know, I, I mean, I, I like getting to know people. But there are times when it's nice to just be anonymous. I, I, I got to tell you that. Debbie, Debbie and I, you know, maybe about once a quarter, sometimes twice a year, we'll go away somewhere where we can be anonymous. What do you do? Well, it's none of your business. You know, I mean, we just kind of <laughs> I dress real sloppy and let, don't comb my hair. It's just normal. And, uh, and it's just nice to just chill and sit down in a restaurant and don't have to Wonder, you know, who's watching, you know, whatever. It's just, that's just normal. Jesus needed that. I mean, massively more than I, I need anything like that. But Jesus takes Sabbath times away. And so he's going to this Canaanite city where nobody knows him, okay? People don't know him, he thinks. And uh, then it says, a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. She recognizes him. This is the guy that's healing people. I need you. And she calls out, and here's what she says. She says, my daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. You know, often you aren't aware of your need for faith until you face something that you can't control. And for her, it's her daughter. You know, it's bad enough when it's something um, in, in kind of in and of yourself, but when it's your kids, it's like, I, you know, Wow, I'd do anything for my kids. And, and her daughter is, is demon-possessed. What does that mean? Well, in 
in, in that particular area, there are a lot of demonized people. I mean, I've been to different places in the world where there are significant numbers of demonized people. We don't see that many in America. Uh, we're kind of Christianized. I don't say that we're a Christian nation. I don't necessarily believe that. But I believe that we are very Christianized. So we don't see as much. But there was a, there, there was a demon possession in her child that she said it's, it's been very destructive to her. And so she cries, I can't control it, I can't do anything. When you're a parent and your child is sick or there's a problem, you can't, you can't do anything about it. It's just, you know, you, you're, you're desperate and that's where she is. And for you, you know, it could be a challenge with your kids. You may say, I know what a demonized kid is. I got a demon-possessed kid in my house, you know. Um, you know, or, or maybe it's just, you know, maybe you've got a child that, you know, is making bad decisions. You see the end of it, you can't control it. Or there could be sickness in your home, in you. could be a financial situation that's beyond your control. could be a relational deal that's gone south. You thought you could control it. You can't control it. It's out of your control. And, uh, and, you, and you reach out to Jesus. It begins a faith journey. Or it could be a challenge on the other end of the spectrum. It doesn't always have to be bad. It could be, you know, th- there's a new opportunity. And, it, wow, this is bigger than I know what to do with. Or it could be a dream that's bigger than resources. Or it could be just your walk with Christ. you just begun. You don't know what to do. And, and you reach out to Jesus. When she realizes she can't control things, she reaches out. And if you're in a challenging place right now, here's the good news. If you will reach out to Jesus, your life is getting ready to change. I remember the the day before and the day after I got my glasses. Do you remember that? Day before, frustrating, I can't see anything. Day after, wow, it's a whole new world. I can read. I can see people's faces. Life can change. See, your, your current circumstances may very well be the doorway to a miracle that God wants to work in your life. A faith journey often begins with a difficult challenge. And here's the second thing that I notice in this story is a faith journey often gets worse before it gets better. How many of you would have been real good for me not to say that? How many of you ever been to a doctor that said that to you? Okay, we can fix this, but it's going to get worse before it gets better. I've got two or three friends right now that are going through knee replacement, hip replacement. That'll tell you the kind of people I'm hanging out with these days. And um, one friend in particular, man, his knee is, just hurts him every day, every day, every day, and goes to the doctor. The doctor says, I can fix that, but I'm going to tell you something. It's going to get worse before it gets better. My friend goes, hey, nothing can be worse than this. And then the day he says, uh, it is. Yeah, it is. I, I'm looking forward to the day. When it gets better because it's worse right now. And, and a faith journey can be like that. Maybe a few weeks ago, you said, you know what? It's first of the year. I'm going to decide to follow Jesus. And that message just encouraged you. And, and you said, I'm, I'm going to go for it. And there was a euphoria that comes when you make a good decision. It's built into us. When we do the right thing, there's endorphins. It's good. And, and you felt that. And then you walked out of here and you went home and maybe there's somebody significant in your life, friend or family member, and they said, you know, I'm not going there. I'm not going to walk like you're walking right now. And it seems to be a couple weeks later, it's actually worse, not better. Sometimes that happens. Or maybe uh, about, I don't know, a month and a half ago, 
uh, we did a, a little series on generosity. And we challenged you to challenge God. God's word says, you know, um, test me and see if I, if I give God the first part of my resources, if God won't multiply and he'll take care of my needs and all that. And I've gotten just a lot of notes from people that, about how, man, God's met our needs and this has been incredible. But for some of you, it's very possible you took the tithe challenge, 90-day tithe challenge, and your car broke down. Or your air conditioning went out or the heat or whatever, you know, or the kid had a medical emergency and you go, wow, it's, you know, things are actually worse. And it's true. A lot of times in a faith journey, often it gets worse before it gets better. Or maybe you go, decide to go in for counseling and, uh, you know, things are tough at home and so you go for counseling and there's a euphoric feeling, I'm doing the right thing. You, the counselor tears you apart. You thought it was her fault. And uh, it's both of your fault, but mostly yours. And they're peeling back, you know, it's like an onion. You're going, oh, boy, there's nothing left to me. This is not good. It gets worse before it gets better. Or maybe it's an addiction thing and you decided to go to celebrate recovery. I, I'm so proud of everybody that makes that choice. You say, you know what, I'm not going to live like this my whole life. I'm going to get out of denial and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deal with it. And um, in the... Uh, in the uh, um, recovery field, they, they say this, at first things get real good, and then they just get real, <laughs> you know, and sometimes it's like that, you know, it gets worse before it gets better. After the initial euphoria of seeing and putting her faith in Jesus, this Canaanite woman, she's not a Jew, she's a Canaanite, runs into a stone wall, and what's interesting is who the stone wall is. Look at the next verse. Jesus didn't answer a word. Wow, that's not the Jesus I thought I knew. Jesus didn't answer. Where this lady comes, my, my daughter is demon-possessed. It's been a horrible thing. You can help. Please help me. Nothing. You know, yell at me, disagree with me, but don't ignore me. Would you agree with that? And here's the God of the universe, and he's silent. In fact, the disciples said, send her away. She keeps crying out after us. Listen, we're here to, for R&R. We're here to be anonymous. And, and she's, there's going to be a crowd coming. Send her away. It's annoying. And then Jesus says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. I'm on a mission. The Father told me that I only do what the Father, Father says. You read that in other parts of the scriptures. And, and the mission is to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, we know that the mission will expand. With the New Testament church, we know that the Holy Spirit is poured out to Gentiles. But that has to happen after Jesus is rejected. He hasn't been rejected yet. He's on mission. And he's silent to her request. Has God ever been distant with you? You ever prayed and wondered, God, where are you? Or maybe you felt like God didn't answer your prayer. Why does God hide? Why does he hide? I thought about that a little bit. You know, sin is sometimes the thing that, hide, that causes God to hide. And I'm not saying that God never listens to the prayer of a sinner. It's not true. He listens to mine, listens to yours. He listens to prayers of people far from God. But there are times when our sin uh, becomes 
And it's almost like a denial thing or we justify or whatever, you know, yeah, that's just what I do, whatever. And God sees that our sin is self-destructive behavior. And the only way that we're going to get desperate enough to come to him to deal with our sin is pain. And God will distance himself from us until we deal with it. Sometimes that's the case. Not always, but sometimes. Sometimes God seems distant because you need to clarify what you want. You know, I've got all these little grandkids and kids before them, and they always want something. Papa, can I have this? Can I have that? Can I have this? Can I have that? Sometimes I just won't answer until, you know, because it, I, if I give them everything that they're saying, what, what do you really want? And so sometimes silence helps us to clarify what is it we really want. Most often, though, I think that God is silent in order to test our faith. You say, I've heard that before, but I don't, I mean, that's kind of cruel, isn't it? Testing your faith. I mean, why does he want to do that? Um, back in the day, I used to be a wrestler. Now, it's not professional wrestling. It's the real stuff. And uh, I remember at first, I hated my coaches. I hated conditioning. I mean, their goal was to make you puke in a bucket. Okay, that was it. And uh, I, I remember this one drill that we had as a wrestler. In wrestling, uh, you would go, uh, in high school at least, you'd go two-minute rounds, three, three two-minute rounds, and you, you th- say you can do anything for two minutes. Listen, when you're up against somebody and you're going all out, that is exhausting. That is absolutely, I played football, and there's no, there's no comparison of how, the kind of shape you have to be in in order to, to wrestle. And so what they would do is, in training, you'd be in a, uh, on, on a mat with, with somebody that was fresh for two minutes, and then they'd bring somebody else who was fresh for two minutes, and then the next two minutes you'd run up and down the stairs, and we had this huge gymnasium, up and down, somebody's there blowing whistles if you're lagging, and then you come back and start that process over and over, and you do it over and over and over again and until you were absolutely exhausted, and I hated the co- What kind of sadist is this that wants to do this? And here's, here's when it turned for, the, for me. When I was on the mat, in a match, big match, and it's the third period, and we are both absolutely exhausted, and I got a little bit left in my tank. And I thought, that's why the coach did that. It's because he wanted me, my, my coach's goal is that I would be a champion against anybody. That there would never be a person that I'd walk on the mat with who was in better shape than me. And that's our Father God, too. When he tests our faith, it's not because he's the cosmic party pooper who wants to rain on your parade. The muscles you build in pursuing God, you're going to need in pursuing your destiny. Don't be surprised when your faith is tested after you decide to take a step of faith. In fact, James 1 and verse 2 says it this way. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind. Any of you there yet? I'm not. I'm getting better. It's like, okay, a trial. All right, God's in this, testing my faith. This is ultimately going to be good. I'm not. Oh, awesome. There's a trial. This is good stuff. I'm not there yet. And I'm a lot more mature than almost all of you, okay? But I'm not there yet. But he says, he says, get to a point where you consider it pure joy when you face trials of any kind. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. 
It makes your faith muscles grow. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may mature, be mature and complete, not lacking anything. He's saying the same thing my coach said. I want you to face any situation, and you're a champion in any situation. There will never be a person or a circumstance that you're up against that's in better shape faith-wise than you are. And so, and so God tests our faith. He tests our faith, okay? So our faith journey begins with a difficult challenge. It usually gets worse before it gets better. And then the third thing we learn about our faith journey is this, a persistent faith is always rewarded by God. A persistent faith is always rewarded by God. Let's look at this story. This is where it gets real difficult. The woman came and knelt before him. This is what I imagine she said. Okay, get this, get the picture. Daughter's demon, uh, demonized in some way, and it's, it's excruciating for her. Mom's frustrated. She sees Jesus. He's got the answer. He's in a, a city where he's kind of anonymous. She starts screaming out. The disciples say, shut her up. You know, we're going to have a crowd here. Jesus ignores her and then turns to the disciples and says, my mission is to the lost children of Israel. And here she, she doesn't go away. I can imagine her coming to him and saying, hey, Mr. Mission Man, I don't care who your mission is. My daughter's got a problem, and I'm not going away until you answer my problem. It's kind of where she is. She kneels down before him, and she says, Lord, help me. And he replied, it's not right to take the children's bread. The children are the people of Israel, and toss it to the dogs. Anybody ever have a problem with that when Jesus says that? It's a common term of the day. It's what... This is what the Israelites would say about those that were outside. They would say they were like, and the word dogs, they were like wild animals. Um, now, to soften it a little bit, the word Jesus uses for dog is, is a domesticated pet, okay? But he uses a phrase that she'll understand. And it talks about his, the big picture, the overall mission. But she doesn't take that for an answer either. She says, yes, it is, Lord. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Faith always trumps mission, even in the eyes of God. This is a woman that had great faith. And Jesus said, your request is granted. A persistent faith is always rewarded by God. Now, I use the word always on purpose just to stimulate a little something here. Because they say never use never or always, right? Especially in relationship. But I believe that a persistent faith, and I believe it from Scripture, and I'll show it to you, is always rewarded by God. And you say, always, really, Greg? I didn't get my prayer answered. When my brother or sister or my children, you know, we're, maybe, you had to, maybe you had to bury a child. A parent never wants to do that. Maybe there was a financial situation where it went too far. You lost a house or whatever it happened to be. You said, I prayed. I asked God. Where was God in my time of need? God didn't answer my prayer. And I, and I want to be sensitive to that because most of us go through situations like that. Some of us go through just things that are mind-boggling. Can I talk to you just a minute about how God answers prayer? I think he answers prayer in one of three ways. Sometimes God says yes. How many of you like yes? I love yes. We won't even talk about that. Sometimes God says no. No is actually an answer. In order to receive no, you've got to understand 
that God is omniscient and that God has your best in mind. You know, uh, there have been times in my life where I've received a, a no and I thought that was a bad thing and it ultimately ended up being a good thing. Have you ever been there? It's kind of like in the words of the great theologian Garth Brooks. Thank God for unanswered prayers. Okay. I thought I needed something and God said no. In the big scheme of things, there are some things that we'll never understand. Second uh, Corinthians says about this, these glasses, they're great. But he, but he said even your faith glasses, while you're in this life, you will see through It'll be like, some things will be like seeing through a glass darkly. You won't really be able to, to figure out w- w- the whys. But he said someday we'll be able to see very, very clearly. And there are so many equations that the God of the universe knows and understands that, that we don't. That we've got to go with no. No is a big trust thing. No is, God, you've got my best, my family's best, people's best in mind. And I'm going to have to trust you on that no or that closed door. But then the third one is, is a not yet. In fact, a lot of no's are just not yet's. God says, not yet, not yet. Not yet's not even limited to your lifetime. Let me tell you a quick story. Uh, Josh alluded to it last week. Uh, we, we've had a couple of friends that have gone to be with Jesus recently. And one of them was uh, a 20-year-old, 20-year-old basketball player at College Charleston, Chad Cook. And... Uh, Chad's this guy. If you ever met Chad, everybody likes Chad. Chad just gets into your, he gets into your life, into your space. I met Chad here at church, but didn't really know him. Went on a missions trip with Chad. Went to Haiti, and uh, with with a group of players from College of Charleston. And Chad was one of our roommates. And um, uh, Ch- Chad was one. Of the, he loved to talk, and we would talk till late at night in in our room. And finally, I'd have to say, Chad, Chad, go to bed. Okay, I'm an old guy. You're a young guy. You don't have to have sleep. I do. Go to bed. Okay. I decided I want to hire Chad someday. Yeah, I really would. I just, just, just this, this, this guy that was Pied Piper, especially he loved Jesus and he wanted all of his basketball teammates to know Jesus like he did. He'd bring them to church and he'd bring college kids, especially when they're having challenges, bring them to the well or bring them to church here. And well is our college ministry. Chad went. Uh, back to his parents Christmas and was playing uh, basketball on the 23rd of December, just pickup game at his old high school, uh, fell, and before he hit the ground, he was dead. And you go, wow, 20-year-old, where, where's God and all of that? We did a memorial service this past week, and uh, and I, I spoke just a little bit at it, and uh, uh, there were hundreds of college students, and over here in this section over here was whole basketball team. Chad prayed that his whole team would come to church with him. Well, they came, and he was there, but he just wasn't there. You understand what I'm saying? But at the end, we gave a, how many of you want to receive Jesus? And several of them did too. And it's like, I, I thought in that moment, I thought, you know what? A, a no is not always a no. Sometimes it's a not yet. And God is not limited even by our lifetime in his ability to come through in the ways that he desires to. See, um, the key scripture, if you're going to live by faith and not by sight, is the next one. I want us all to read this out loud. Everybody in the campuses, uh, if you're watching by video, if you can, um, can you read this out loud? Because this is the key scripture. Let's read it. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. 
because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. If you're going to walk by faith and not by sight, you've got to have faith. And, and, and in order to please God, you've got to have faith. And it takes two aspects. This is what it means. Number one, you have to believe that God is, that he exists. Is that a challenge for some of us? It was a challenge for me. Man, I was in college. I grew up in a great church. My dad was a pastor. I went to college. And suddenly, where's my faith? Challenged on every side. I decided I'm going to go on a, on a faith quest of my own. There's all kind of religions in the world. Let's see, why, why, is, why is Christianity, you know, what I ought to walk in? I studied that. I, and I began my study with the, with the idea of, a creator, is there really a God? Because I had a lot of atheist friends. Is there really a God? You know, and, and so took it at that level and, and began to study. It, it, it is, is, if there is creation, then there must be a creator. I came to that. I mean, some of you will, you know, disagree with me on this, and that's okay. I think uh, some forms of evolution and faith can coexist. You know, there are some things that, you go, well, I'm not sure we got all the facts yet on that, you know, even some of the theories that we have these days. But I came to, uh, there can't be a creation without a creator. And then, um, and then it was, well, the Bible. You know, is the Bible really the Bible? Is it God's word? How do we know? I mean, it's just all these writings from all these different people. I studied and studied and studied for months I studied. Read everything I could from both sides, all sides. And I came, to, I, I came to the conclusion that the Bible is reliably God's word. And then, then it was Jesus, okay? If there's a creator, if there's a Bible, who is Jesus? And, and I came to believe that he is who he said he was based basically on the testimony of those around him and the fact that ten men died horribly excruciating martyr deaths just simply because they would not deny the claim that Jesus rose from the dead. I don't know 10 people who would die for the truth, much less 10 who would die knowing that it was a lie. And so then I said, I'm going to put my faith in Jesus Christ. Not everybody has to go through all of that. I did because that's the way I'm put together. And if you're here today and you have a challenge with the existence of God. God's not afraid of your questions, but what I want to say is don't stay there. Make a pursuit of him. Make a pursuit of him. He says that if you will pursue me, that I will reveal myself to him. And just pray and say, God, reveal yourself to me. So the first thing is I've got to believe that God is. And the second thing, this is more from a believer's standpoint, I must believe that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. In other words, I've got to believe that God's got my best in mind. I've got to believe that regardless of the circumstances, he will reward me. He is a rewarder. And if I will earnestly seek him, he will reward. That's why I put always in there. Always. See, if I can do those two things, believe that God exists, and believe that he is a rewarder, I can see life through much clearer lens, my faith lens. I'm going to walk by faith and not by sight. That's the whole deal. Now, let me just give you the fill in the blanks on those six statements, and then we're going to close. And here they are. The end of the end of your outline sheet. It says, what does it mean to live by faith? This year, 
If I'm going to walk by faith, not by sight, I'm going to believe God even when I don't see it. I'm going to believe God. There are going to be some times where I'm going to be forced to believe God when I don't see it. I'm going to see things that are, I'm going to fix my eyes on the unseen rather than the seen. There are going to be times this year I'm going to need to obey God even when I don't understand it. There are going to be times when what God says is different than my understanding. And when I know it's God, I'm going to obey it even when I don't understand it. Number three, I'm going to give to God even when I don't have it. There will be times this year, there were times last year with me, when I made a commitment to generosity and I had to give when I maybe didn't even feel like I could afford to give. I'm going to do it because I believe that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Number four, I'm going to persist with God even when I don't feel like it. There are going to be times this year where I'm not going to feel anything. And I'm going to persist because I'm not going to live by my feelings. I'm going to live by the facts of God's word. Number five, I'm going to thank God before I receive it. Thanking God after I receive something is, is, is gratitude. It's not faith. Gratitude is a good thing. But faith goes, you know what? I'm believing for this and I'm going to thank God before I receive it. And number six, I'm going to trust God even when I don't get it. Because there will be times when I'll hear a no or when it doesn't seem to work and whatever. And you know what? In those moments, I am going to live by faith and not by sight. I'm going to trust God even if I don't get it. Will you stand together with me? Will you stand together with me? I want to kind of close out this service. And get your outline sheet. You're going to need it. Get your outline sheet. We're going to make a declaration of faith. And if you're not comfortable doing this, that's okay. Just listen. And maybe even listening will build your faith. I want to take those six things. I want us to make a declaration of faith and say, you know what? This year I'm going to live. I have decided to live by faith and not by sight. And here's what I'm going to do. Let's, let's read it out loud together. This year, a lot of times when we read out loud, we move our lips. Okay? Let's do that. This year, I am going to believe God when I don't see it. Obey God when I don't understand it. Give to God when I don't have it. Persist with God when I don't feel like it. Thank God before I receive it. Trust God even if I don't get it. That's what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. Can I give you one real short last story while you're standing? So I'm reading the Gospels a week ago, and I came across the story of the centurion who had a sick servant. Centurion is not a Jew. He's a Roman soldier. And he sees that Jesus is healing and he's in a city close by. He sends a couple of his, his guys to go to Jesus to give him a message. They said this, Jesus, our boss is a centurion soldier. We've got a friend that's sick. He said this. He said, would you heal him? And you don't need to come where he lives or even where the servant is because he said, I'm a man under authority. I understand what it means to speak a word and people to obey it even if I'm not there. He said, that's all you have to do, Jesus. You just speak the word and he'll be healed. And here's what Jesus said. Here's what Jesus said. In Luke 7 and verse 9, it said, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. I'm going to tell you something. It takes something to amaze the God of the universe. How many of you would agree with that? He says, when he heard this, 
He was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Seacoast Church, let me ask you this. What if our goal, individually, what if our goal this year, top goal for 2015 was this? I'm going to amaze Jesus with my faith. At some point in this year, this month, this week, I want my faith to amaze Jesus. Because I have decided to walk by faith and not by sight. Sound good? I want to pray. Lord, I thank you for this wonderful group of people gathered here, gathered wherever we happen to be watching or listening. God, I pray that your kingdom would come, your will would be done. I pray that you would increase our faith. I pray that you would, that we would be able to take this measure of faith, that it would be tested, it would grow. It would become the muscle that we'd be able to walk into our destiny with as we're pursuing you. God, now in the next few minutes, I, I, I just ask that there would be a, just a sense of honesty, integrity, transparency as we expose our hearts to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.